0: I'm not another week better prepared for Christmas, but we are um, getting there. Um, There will be increasing frenzy of shopping and cooking and socialising and uh, so on from now on, I think. And I know, I am confident that on Corn Market and Broad Street and the Westgate and Cowley Road, if if there were little bubbles above people's heads as they wandered around doing all that, Um, a common word that would appear amongst their heads is, why? And uh, so we have given ourselves the title for the series, Why Christmas? In order to try and give an answer to that that goes a little bit beyond the trivial and the superficial. An answer or a series of answers that comes from the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. Um, uh, we saw for instance didn't we back in chapter 1 that uh, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus we are are actually celebrating the faithfulness of God That, that endless genealogy which begins Matthew's gospel yielded for us when we looked at it a rich picture of God's faithfulness he made promises to Abraham through David he showed that actually those promises could never be properly fulfilled by mere human beings. At the exile he showed us that the that, that dark as the days may get God doesn't forget his promises so that finally when Jesus arrived we are seeing the beginning of God fulfilling his promises made thousands of years before to Abraham. Christmas is about God's faithfulness which continues now. And then then, then last week, wasn't it, we, we, um, we saw that Jesus came that first Christmas to deal with our most fundamental need. He came to save us from our sins. We desperately need God's forgiveness for our sins and Jesus won that through his death on the cross. We desperately need to be liberated from the bondage to our sins and uh, the Bible says we can begin to experience that now as we follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit but that is just a first taste for believers of the day when uh, that Daniel was talking about Um, when finally... This whole world is liberated from its bondage to decay, as um, uh, Paul says in, the, in, in his letter to the Romans. And there is no mourning or dying or even death itself. And all of that new era began when that little baby was born. There are some big reasons why Christmas is a pretty important time of celebration. But by the beginning of uh, Matthew chapter 2, probably more than a year has passed. When Jesus is described in this chapter, Matthew uses a word that by and large wasn't used for a a newborn baby. And um, uh, we saw when Herod makes his decision to uh, massacre all the uh, infants in um, uh, Bethlehem, he chooses all of those under two years old. So, it seems that Jesus is probably about at least a year old at um, at this stage of the story. And uh, in a sense, this story serves as a sort of introduction for the rest of Jesus' life. Indeed, Matthew is going to make plain, an introduction to the rest of history after Jesus is born. For for the rest of history, for the rest of Jesus' life and for the rest of history, two things are going to be happening, two things that are happening in this chapter. On the one hand, the, the, the powers of this world represented by King Herod are on the way out. In his lifetime, Jesus demonstrated his authority over all the forces of evil which dominate this world now. By his death, he paid the penalty for all the sins of his people so that they could be reunited with God. By his resurrection, he, he heralded and announced that, that, that all the forces of evil in this world are on the way out. So, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he announced, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Herod shows us that waning power, which we will look at in just a moment. But another thing is happening in this story and actually in the rest of the Bible, the rest of history. All kinds of people from all over the world represented here by these three, uh, uh, or or these magi, I called them three, if you were at um, uh, our our thing last uh, Sunday evening led by the Westerns, they pointed out, we don't know how many magi there were. So these magi, however many they were, coming to worship Jesus. And again, at the end of his Gospel, after Jesus has died and risen again, we find him saying, go to his disciples, go making disciples of all nations. And from that moment on, there have been people coming to worship Jesus from every tribe and nation. So, today there, there will not be a country in the whole world in which people do not celebrate the birth of Jesus this Christmas. And Matthew gives us a first taste of it here in Matthew 2. So, we're going to look at this story in Matthew chapter 2 as a first glimpse of what the rest of history is going to be like. And uh, we're going to do it under two headings. The first is this. There are two kinds of power represented in this story. The power of man, or the power of this world, however you want to put it, And the power of God. Herod here represents the power of man. He is a monstrous, exaggerated figure in some ways. There are not many leaders as vicious and cruel as he was. But he also demonstrates, albeit in this caricatured way, what this world's power is like. Herod... um, demonstrates three things as he tries to assert his authority and stamp his authority on this story. First of all, he demonstrates anxiety. Verse 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we came to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. For every leader, you see, that tries to assert his own authority, there are constant reminders that he's not in control. The more power-obsessed a leader gets, the more anxiety-inducing he finds it. See, the, the, the magi turn up out of the blue saying, where's the king of the Jews? Now, Herod ruled the Jews, he thought. He was their king, not some other upstart. When someone announces someone else as king, he's thrown into turmoil. Stalin was an anxious, paranoid, turbulent man who massacred millions because of his paranoia. The rulers of Burma have been thrown into turmoil turmoil by Aung San Suu Kyi. Worryingly though, it has to be said. We know in ourselves that when we feel out of control, when we're thwarted, we are disturbed in that way. An illness, a financial situation, a relationship going wrong. I mean, our world is shot through with reminders we are not in charge of our destiny, we cannot control it and we are disturbed. The second thing that follows on then from that anxiety that human beings Exhibit when they're trying to, to grasp hold of control of their world. The second symptom is an obsessive form of control. That's very, very clear in, chap- in verses 7 and 8. Her- Herod there uses all the techniques in his armoury to try to control his environment. Firstly, he uses secrecy. Verse 7, he called the Magi... Secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had had appeared. Keep people in the dark. You see, knowledge is power. If I know things that other people don't know, I can try and gain some control. And then, then, then it's something you see often in people, and you see here in Herod, there is a sort of. Obsessive precision uh, uh, associated with this, this this obsession to control. Did you see? Did you see in verse seven that he asked the exact time that the star appeared, and then in verse eight he tells them to make a careful, or literally exact. That is, uh, it's the same word. An exact search for this child. He wants to know exactly how old he might be, exactly where he lives, because. Precision gives you control. Our, our, our culture is obsessed with precision. Today, you can get your entire genome sequence simply for the cost of a few thousand pounds and it will soon drop to a few hundred pounds. So I, I can set up on my computer a system which tracks the mobile phones of my children to within a few yards. I haven't done it, don't worry. But I can I went, to the op- I went to the optician uh, this week and they took a photograph of the back of my eye and then we together looked at a photograph taken a couple of years ago and we could compare down to the nearest tenth of a millimetre how much things are changing in my eye. We want to know exactly because exactness gives us control. And and in many ways, I I rejoice at such developments because they bring so much good. good. But underneath it, you see, there is that dark spectre, isn't there? I want to rule my life. I want to control my destiny. I'm obsessive about it. And then there's a, bit, a little bit more information control that he, that he, that he goes, uh, goes for. Did you see in verse 8 he says, as um, soon as you find him, report to me. Not anyone else, to me. Let's not be too open about this information. And finally, there is downright deceit so that I may go and worship him. Herod mean, intends nothing of the sort. Shocking, isn't it? Shocking, not least, because so often we function like that. Now, Tony Blair's aide, uh, Jonathan Powell, and has written a book, The New Machia- and He explicitly acknowledges that uh, Tony Blair used all these tactics of Herod, which since uh, the 16th century have become called Machiavellian tactics, to rule. They're tried and tested techniques of control and they are not confined to the Tony Blairs of this world. We conveniently overlook bits of information to manipulate relationships. We demand secrecy from other, uh, from other people to protect our reputation and our position we obsessively research things whether it's understanding our own medical position uh, condition or getting the best financial deal or whatever it is because i want to be in control and note this because it's very very important god overturns that 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 conceit of ours with a uh, Twitch of his little finger, verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. Herod is defeated. After all his tactics, he's defeated. He was never in control. You are not in control of your life. You are not in control of your destiny, of your future. God is. We as a family have had a fit, health-conscious friend of ours about our age die unexpectedly just in, in in a few months from cancer. We've had friends who've lost children, others inexplicably lost jobs or their health or their loved ones. That's life. I don't know why these things happened, I'm as confused as the next man. I know I'm not in control. But those who like Herod say to themselves in uh, the words of that poem, Invictus, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul they find their lives uh, increasingly obsessed with trying to get control. And it always fails. And when their illusion of control is shattered, something dramatic happens. There is terrible anger unleashed. Verse 16. When Herod realised he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Of course, Herod's not been outwitted by the Magi. No, but he's got a tunnel vision, you see. He thinks it's a game of chess between him and the Magi. So when he's thwarted, he is furious. First of all against the Magi, but they're long gone. So now against those little innocent boys. And he vents his anger terribly on the village of, of Bethlehem. And, and anyone who knows anything about this world knows that is absolutely familiar. You know, in central France, you can, you can visit, visit the, the little village of oradour uh, sur glane which uh, on the 10th of June, 1944, 642 men, women and children were massacred by the Waffen-SS for no particular reason beyond a rumour and their pent-up fury that Nazi Germany was being defeated. To the great credit of the French, they have kept that burnt shell of a village preserved to remind us of the horror of human anger. Or or in Iraq on the 16th of March 1988 in the the town of Halabja, somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 people were gassed simply because of Saddam Hussein's paranoid fury. And that was just one of the many things that uh, Saddam did. Yeah, frankly, Herod is small fry. He only killed at most perhaps a dozen small boys. There have been far worse monsters than that in the rest of history. Here's the shocking thing. Anger when our illusion of control is shattered, is not confined to despots. It is everywhere. It is in student riots. It is in marriages. It is in the workplace. It is in my heart. Now, anger is always a complex emotion because there is such a thing as righteous anger. But anyone who knows their own heart knows that there is more than a hint of Herodian fury that goes on when we are angry. I am furious because I'm not in control. You're not. bodies. <clears throat> See, Herod's fury unleashed a tide of pain and misery. That tide of pain and misery, as Daniel was saying, which continues today. But Herod did not achieve his main objective. Do you see verse 13? When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until, uh, until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and to kill him. So, Herod set out to destroy this alternative king, but God preserved him. Yes, God doesn't preserve us from all the misery in this world. But he does achieve his main objective. In this case, to save Jesus Christ. So, let me say to you, if you are setting out to control your life, you are more like Herod than you would like to admit and your life will be characterised by anxiety, obsessive control and anger until the final curtain falls. Because you see that's one of the key things that Matthew is wanting to say. Herod, you're on the way out. Did you notice in verse 15 that that, that, um, Jesus would be kept safe until the death of Herod? Herod died, or in verse 19, Matthew mentions his death again. As if he's sort of saying, did I mention Herod died? Jesus lived, did I mention he died? Two kinds of power then. That we need to be aware of the power of man and the power of God. If you are on the side of the power of man, trying to control your own life and shape your own destiny, you will shrivel, you will become a less and less happy person, a more and more frustrated person until you die. That's what the Bible says. But if you're on the side of God, if you're prepared to entrust yourself to God, then you will find that you don't need to worry about not being in control. Because someone who really can control this world is And there may still be suffering, there may still be difficulty, there may still be confusion. But you're on a road to a better destiny. And all of that finally will slip away. And you will be liberated in eternity. What kind of life are you going to live? That's what um, uh, this passage is inviting us to think. There are two kinds of power. Which one will grasp your heart? And then more briefly, there are two kinds of knowledge in this passage and I call it human information versus divine insight. We haven't got time to, to sift this carefully, but let me, let me just show you a few key things. The Magi and the Jewish scholars whom Herod consults both know a lot about Jesus. The magi have come to know that. Well, who knows how? They just turn up saying, uh, from the east saying, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star, star in the east or his star rising and we have come to worship him. Most people think that, think that they were Iranian Persian astrologers and that of course is a shock. They're not the right people who should be coming and worshipping the king of the Jews. They are Gentiles. And they're emphatically not using the right methods. Astrology was forbidden in Israel by the word of God itself. But somehow God has stretched beyond that, beyond the border of Israel, beyond even uh, conventional ways that God wants us to know him. And he has drawn in these men. But then on the other hand you see, these Jewish scholars are the opposite in many ways. They are supposed to be the right people. And they are ostensibly using the right methods. Matthew makes that very clear. Uh, clear when Herod asks where the Christ will be born and they reply promptly verse 5 in Bethlehem in Judea they replied for this is what the prophet has written Micah 5 2 but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel they know their Bibles and up to a point They have drawn the right conclusion that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. But the knowledge that they have is very different from the knowledge that these magi have. The chief priests and teachers of the law, they should have read a couple of verses on in Micah chapter 5. And they they would have read of this Christ, His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And they wouldn't have been disturbed, as Matthew says, alongside uh, Herod when these foreigners turned up asking for the Christ. They would have rejoiced in excitement. But, But actually, there was something else going on in their hearts and Matthew will reveal in just a few chapters it won't be long before they're plotting, just like Herod did, to kill Jesus. They know their Bibles, but somehow they have not, got true knowledge of Jesus. They hate him. They will murder him. But these are, you see, they know almost nothing and yet they know everything that matters. They said they, they have come to worship Jesus and their pilgrimage is a pilgrimage of wonderful joy. Did you notice in verse 10, when they saw the star they were overjoyed. Their worship is extravagant, generous and free. On coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him and opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh, and all along the way they are guided and protected by the living God. Verse 12, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they didn't. There are two kinds of knowledge here, you see. Now, I, I pray <laughs> that there is no one here who has that narrow lifeless, ultimately hostile, Biblical knowledge. Because it'll kill you. Now, the Bible is an absolutely wonderful book. I am absolutely committed to Uh, teaching it every day that I stand up here I will teach you from the Bible every day I read my Bible it is a precious and a wonderful book and yet it will not give you that insight that divine insight that turns your human knowledge into worship and joy and trust it will not do that on its own it needs a work of God and Matthew is saying hey guys do, don't you notice God sometimes is prepared to do that in the most wonderful ways? In, you know, in the same country, in Iran at the moment, Muslims by the dozen, hundreds, thousands even, are having dreams about Jesus and putting their trust in him and only some considerable time later do they find access to a Bible. God's happy to do that. There are people coming in here who are searching for God, who are looking for God, have an instinct about God, who know nothing about the Bible and yet whom God has touches and, and is drawing them in. And Bible knowledge comes later. Exactly what happened to me personally. Now, do not think that that studying the Word of God, listening to the Word of God here is enough. Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian of the 18th century, said that what needs, what needs to happen is that, to make a difference is a divine and supernatural light needs to be imparted into your soul. But he was 18th century, so he liked to use those phraseologies. Let me put it simpler. You need to see Jesus You need to delight in Jesus. You need to worship Jesus. What's going on for the rest of history? There is a tussle between the power of man and the power of God. Hey, and guess what? God wins and there are two competing forms of knowledge, information and insight. And it's insight which will transform you. If that's happened to you, rejoice from the bottom of your heart because Once God's Holy Spirit has opened your eyes in that way, you will never be the same. And if that hasn't happened to you, by all means, search the Bible. but Pray that like those Magi, he would break in and help you worship Jesus. Another amazing reason. celebrate Christmas. When Jesus was born, that's what began happening. Herod, on the way out, Magi, people like us, are welcomed in.